Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. And lots of exciting things going on technology. Yet again, Ford is bringing their autonomous vehicles to D.C. Are they really? So we are accelerating the move to having autonomous vehicles operating everywhere and nobody really owns a car. (laughs) (laughs) I'll talk about Ford's <laughs> business model there. It's kind of interesting what they're what they're doing. Mm-hmm. There's a a router that's you know widely used in the world, and now there are you know it's been hacked, and it's uh, creating havoc all over Brazil and India, and the you know people have got to really watch out for that. And if anybody's got that router here, they got to be careful with it too. And we'll talk also a bit about Microsoft's movement to open source. It's a the big shift for them. And this week we're going to feature the father of computer graphics, Ivan Sutherland. He was uh, he um, he's made quite significant developments in the whole field of computer graphics and he's had a lot of students who have gone on to do great things under him. And of course, it was a huge huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Let's call there. Oh, yes. We got, a, we got an email from Brian in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I enjoy the show by watching a Periscope Live on my iPhone. Now, the, the picture's a little bit small, and I'd like to install Periscope on my Windows 10 laptop. And Funny. Didn't you just do the same thing? Yeah, I did. It was amazing. <laughs> and... And, uh, you know, and I can't find a version that supports Windows. I can find a version that supports iOS for the iPhone. I got a, found a version that supports Android for Android phones, but nothing supports Windows. What are my options, Brian in Kansas? Well, Brian, there are no versions of Periscope that support Windows. However, there is hope. <laughs> you can install an Android emulator on your computer. And once you've installed that Android emulator on your computer, your computer will act, at least that emulator will act just like an Android phone. And you can then install any Android apps you want, including Periscope. Now, in fact, I've been doing that for quite a bit of time now. And so it's, uh, that's how I watch Periscope on my Windows, uh, Windows laptop. Uh-huh. Now, the emulator that, uh, <clears throat> that, that is really quite good to use is BlueStacks. BlueStacks. It was founded in 2011, and they wanted to uh, provide a way for people to load Android games onto their Windows machine. It all, they also support Macs. or on their Mac machine. So it, they actually have 210 million users, but most of them are playing games. So I did notice as soon as I installed BlueStacks on my computer, 
I had all these game options. So I could sit there and I could play, you know, Android games as much as I would want. And when you install BlueStacks, you also get the um, you get the Google Store, so you can you can you can basically purchase apps as you want. So the first thing you have to do is you've got to download BlueStacks. So go to BlueStacks with an S, blue s t a c k s dot com. Go to BlueStacks.com on your computer and um, download it. The BlueStacks supports Andrew Android N, which is Nugget. That's seven point one point two. Now make certain to download the correct. Go to the BlueStacks website. There are a lot of other websites out there, and you might be installing malware on your computer if you go to the wrong one. So make certain to go to BlueStacks, with an S, dot com. I'll have the link right here on the show outline, which we'll have posted by Monday. So if you go to, the, if you go to one of these fake websites, you may, you may get infected with malware. So be mindful. After you install BlueStacks, you'll... Have to, you'll have, you'll need a Gmail account. You'll have to log into your Gmail account because it's because actually, and then you will then go to the Google Play Store, search for BlueStacks, download BlueStacks, just like you're installing it on the Android phone. Install it, and then you'll have to log into Google to your Gmail account again. Once you get into uh, Periscope and Bingo, you're set. Now be patient because the first time you boot BlueStacks up, it's going to take about four minutes while it does its configuration. Then every time after that, it will take about a minute or less, maybe 30 seconds to a minute to, for it to boot up uh, the second or third time. So now you can also, of course, in not just Periscope, you can play all those games. So enjoy your new Android emulator. We got an email from John in Bethesda. Dear Tech Talk, I listen to Tech Talk every Saturday morning, but sometimes I miss the show. Ah. Whoa, it's terrible. That's not allowed. Where can I find the podcast so I can listen to the show later in the week? Tech Talk's very informative. John in Bethesda. Did well, you pay John anything to write that? No, I didn't pay John okay. a penny. He just he just did that out of the sweetness of his own heart. <laughs> well, there's actually the podcast is a lot of places. You can go to the Stratford website, and that would just be techtalk.stratford.edu. And uh, there will that that on that website there you can click on the podcast link. And you can subscribe to the podcast right there. You can go to Apple iTunes, and you simply, if you want to look for, just look for Stratford Tech Talk iTunes, and it'll take you right to the link there. And you can sign up for the um, for the Apple iTunes podcast. It's also on Podcast One. Podcast One is a uh, is a, I think is partnered with Federal News Network, and so they 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 have some kind of sponsorship there. So. Um, Federal News Network uploads the shows to Podcast One uh, every uh, every week, independently of the Stratford Podcast. So you can just go to, if you want to go there, just go to podcastone.com and uh, and look for Tech Talk Radio. And then it's also on Stitcher. It's another podcast. You can just go to stitcher.com and search for Stratford Tech Talk, and boom, it'll be right there. Actually, it is on many, many website podcast aggregators as soon as i post it to the stratford website apple itunes grabs it and loads it and a lot of other uh aggregators pull it right off the app pull the feed right off the apple itunes and so it's probably on 10 or 12 different podcast feeds around the internet but those are just a few and uh you know now we also now the podcast feed only goes back that's everything we've done here at WFED so it goes back about 7 years if you want to look at shows that go all the way back to 2000 
go to the Stratford University website and you can search shows that go all the way back, techtalk.stratford.edu, and you can look. You can go back 15 or 20 years. We got an email from David in Ashburn. Dear Tech Talk, I'd like to install Linux on my Windows 10 PC so I could and toggle back and forth between Windows and Linux. I'm new to computers and would like to start learning the ropes. What do you suggest, David and Ashburn? Well, David, that is a great idea. The way to become a computer pro is to act like a computer pro and actually do something, do projects. And this is a great project. Uh, you know, installing Linux <clears throat> is a great project. And the nice thing is if you put it on your laptop, you don't have to buy another machine to do it. Now, I would suggest that you set up Linux as a virtual machine. You could set it up as a dual boot where you either boot up in Linux or in Windows 10, but the virtual machines are so nice. I would set up a virtual machine. And I would suggest if you, you know, for your first version of Linux, I would go to Ubuntu LTS. Uh, and then uh, the Ubuntu is, is very user-friendly. It's, it, it's probably for your first Linux distribution, or as they say in the field, your first distro um, that would be a good one for you. And you get the LTS version. That's the long-term support edition because they keep coming out with upgrades and, you know, the latest and greatest like every six weeks. But they don't support those. And then, and then they take all of the code that really is stable and put it in a long-term support edition. And then you don't have to upgrade except maybe once a year or so. So since you are just getting started, I would go to Ubuntu LTS so you don't – and that's a stable version, so that's would be what I would recommend. You can try the the latest up as soon as you know Linux, you can you can try the latest ones and see what's coming out. But in the beginning, I'd go to Ubuntu LTS. Now, an excellent virtual machine option would be the Oracle VM VirtualBox. It's a free. I'm suggesting this because it's free. It's also open source. It's a hypervisor for the x86 computers. And it's currently being developed by Oracle. And, uh, you, and you basically can install a virtual machine or multiple virtual machines within Windows using the Oracle, Oracle VM VirtualBox. Um, in addition, there is a guest editions package of device drivers and systems applications for specific operating systems. I would recommend that once you install the Oracle VM VirtualBox, install the guest editions package with device drivers, that will really help make your Ubuntu work better because sometimes you need additional device drivers for these Linux operating systems, and it would be nice to have that there. Um, users of the VirtualBox can load multiple operating systems under a single host operating system. Each of these guest hosts, virtual machines, can, can be, um, they can be started, they can be paused, they can be stopped independently within their own VM machine. They can configure each virtual machine and run it under uh, and run um, run, any, run run any software they would like. So each virtual machine you allocate so much uh, RAM to it, so much disk space to it, and you can you can just basically learn a lot about operating systems. The host OS operating system, the guest operating systems uh, can communicate each other through a number of mechanisms, including including a clipboard, so you can paste from one to another. Now the link for the virtual Box is virtualbox.org. Virtualbox.org. You download that. Download that. It's free. And the link to download Linux would be ubuntu.com. U b u n t u.com. You can download your Linux operating system there. 
and install that right in the virtual box. Have a lot of fun playing with this. That is the way to become a computer pro is actually to work on a real project and just play around with it. We got our email from Chris in Niceville. I'm installing Windows 10 on a new laptop and have to buy an activation key. Uh, yeah, if you install, you know, you, you get a distribution of Windows and install it, you've got usually 90 days to activate it, and then it just shuts off on you, mm-hmm. which activation means you've got to gotta buy it. Okay, when I, when I search on Amazon, there are many cheap keys for sale. Are they real, and will they work? I'd love to save some money. Well, for instance, Microsoft charges $200 for Windows 10 professional product key. But you can search online, and you can find keys for the Pro Edition for only $12. Is this legitimate? Well, that's, the, that's, that's his question. Is that legitimate? Now, websites selling these cheap keys aren't really getting legitimate retail keys straight from Microsoft. Where do these keys come from? Some of the keys come from other countries where they, they actually have low-cost licenses that they might distribute. Like Microsoft Windows used to have cheap licenses in China. So these keys might be imported from other countries, and they might have geographical restrictions on them. They could have been purchased with stolen credit card numbers. Sometimes, mm. sometimes people will steal, steal a credit card. Then they'll buy a bunch of keys, download the keys, and then even if the credit card is canceled, they still have the keys. Right. But then eventually, the purchase is canceled when the when the when the credit card charges are reversed, and so then the so key, then the, key, the, the keys may not last. Right. So they, they get them, they spin them around, and then you get it, and it and it goes bad. That's right. Now yeah. some keys may be education keys intended for students, and mm-hmm. you and you can get really low cost keys if you're a student. That's a, that's academic software. And actually, if you're a student or staff working at a university, you can get really good discounts on academic software. Now, other keys might be volume license keys that are not sold individually. Like businesses might buy a thousand keys for their enterprise, and those keys are really much cheaper. But and so the IT department has this bag of a thousand keys. Well, maybe somebody from the IT department just pulls out fifty of those keys and sells them on Amazon. So more than likely, the keys came from those sources. Now, they often do work when you, when you use them because they're, they're actual keys, but they don't necessarily work forever. Right. They work for a while. At some point in the year, the key may be flagged as bad and blacklisted on Microsoft servers, like the ones from other countries. They might look at your location code, and they might say this is, this is a, a, you know, pirated software, and they'd cancel it. If, they, if, it's, if it's purchased with a credit card, they may do that. If a company reports that certain of their keys are missing to Microsoft, so eventually you will get caught. But, you, but, you, but I've talked to people, and their keys have been good for quite a while. Huh. I, I actually was in China. This is many years ago, and I bought, I bought some keys in China. And it was like, you know, $5. I brought it back to the U.S., installed the software, worked perfectly. And uh, I didn't really use it for, for, I just was kind of a test. And and I left left those keys, (laughs) I left those keys active for maybe, um, you know, a couple of months. And they, and they were still viewed as genuine Microsoft software. Interesting. So, but here's the thing. Um, Even if you get a cheap key, you know that it's something you shouldn't be doing. And if you buy these cheap keys, you're basically rewarding criminals for doing the wrong thing. So my advice is stay away from them. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and only get legitimate keys. And try to get any legitimate discounts you can get, like that academic software is a really a good deal. If yeah. you can qualify for that, go for it. We got an email from Lily in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I frequently work from home and need to set up conference calls. I only have an iPhone at home. Is there any service I can use for conference calls? Love the show. Lily in Fairfax. Well, Lily, your iPhone allows you to set up conference calls with the iPhone itself. It'll, it'll, you, can, you can conference in up to five people at once. Right, right using your iPhone as the, as the conference, con, conference call aggregator. The other people don't need anything, just regular cell phones or a landline. You start your conference call by calling one of the participants, normally from the dialer app. Now you want to tell the person you're going to add more people. And while you're on that call, tap the button called Add Call. And then the first call will be placed on hold while you make the second call. You'll dial that person and choose it from your conference. After that person answers, you'll see the first call on hold, and the second call will be active below. If you have the names of other people on your contacts, their names will be displayed too. And so you can you could click you could click call again. You could click add call again, and the second person will be put on hold. You can add the third person. And finally, when everybody is connected, you click the button which says merge calls, and they're all brought together. And you can have five people on one call. I, I wonder if FaceTime will let you do the same thing, or is FaceTime one-to-one? I don't know. That's, I wish I could that, tell you because, well, we're doing Periscope on my phone, so uh-huh. I can't mess with that right now. Yeah. But that would be a, a, an easy way to do a um, – That would be. How about Skype? I mean, you know Skype. Will Skype yeah. let you do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, Skype lets you, do, gets, lets you put multiple parties on. I don't know whether you can put multiple parties on with – the video portion. Okay. Portion. I'll have to. I'll have to try. I know you can, you can have multiple people in in Skype. That's another way to do it too. But the iPhone is just built right into you. Don't have to yep. do anything. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It is Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on federal New- on the Federal News Network, uh, and uh, we'll be right back in just a minute. You're listening to us on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2. Watch us do the show, as we talked about just a few minutes ago, by uh, downloading the Periscope app uh, at uh, WFED uh, Tech Talk is where you can find us on Periscope. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, Ivan Edward Sutherland is the man we're going to feature today. He is an American computer scientist and internet pioneer and widely regarded as the father of computer graphics. Ivan was born May 16, 1938 in Hastings, Nebraska. In the eighth grade, he built a gantry crane with surplus motors that his father brought home from work. His favorite subject in school was geometry. His first computer processing experience was with a computer called Simon, which was a relay-based computer with six words of two-bit memory. And uh, he really enjoyed Simon. One of his father's friends had actually built this device and brought it <clears throat> over to them. Its 12 bits of memory permitted Simon to add up to 15. So, it, you know, it wasn't a big high-capacity computer. Now, he wrote a program that taught Simon how to divide. And this was a very complicated program. He had to add, he had to modify the hardware, add an additional stop, and uh, he had to use lookup tables. The actual program was uh, took it took eight pages to write on, and it was quite an accomplishment to get Simon to divide. But he did that in the so he was already interested in computers at quite an early age. For the twelfth grade science fair, he made a magnetic drum with 128 two-bit words on it. So. He was already working on computer hardware back then. After graduating from Scarsdale High School in 1955, he attended Carnegie Mellon University on a full scholarship, and that made it very affordable. He received a Bachelor of Science from Carnegie Mellon in 1959, a Master of Science from Caltech in 1960, and a Ph.D. in Electrical Engineering from MIT in 1963. While he was at MIT, he invented Sketchpad, this was a huge breakthrough. This was in 1962. Sketchpad was a groundbreaking interactive computer-aided design system. Its innovations included hierarchical drawings, constraint satisfaction methods when you're trying to solve a problem, and an interactive graphical user interface. It was way ahead of its day. After graduating from MIT in 1963, Sutherland accepted a U.S. Army commission uh, because he wanted, he, otherwise he'd have been drafted. And in 1964, while he was still in the Army, and at the young age of 26, he replaced Jay Licklider as head of the DARPA Information Processing Office. I'm telling you, that DARPA, of course, is the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. They do all of the high-tech research for the Department of Defense. And that Information Processing and Techniques Office, that office is the office that, the, that, that funded the original Internet. So they are a driver of innovation. And Licklider was, the, was one of the main driving forces behind the, uh, the Internet while he worked at IPTO. And it's amazing that Sutherland, at only age 26, while still a first lieutenant, replaced Licklider as head of the DARPA Information Processing Techniques Office. That's quite impressive. And from 1965 to 1968, Sutherland was an associate professor in electrical engineering at Harvard. 
1968, with the help of student Bob Spruill, he created the first virtual reality and augmented reality head-mounted display system back in 1968. Hmm. I mean, this guy was like 20 years ahead of his time in say. all these developments. Right. From 68 to 74, Sutherland was a professor of computer science at the University of Utah, and one of his students was Jim Clark, who founded Silicon Graphics. He was also a co-founder of Netscape, and he founded WebMD. He also had one of his students was Alan Kay, who was the creator of Smalltalk, and, and Alan won the 2003 Turing Award. And a, another student was Edwin Catmull, who was co-founder at Pixar. So the people who he mentored in school went on to do great things. Mm-hmm. In 1968, Sutherland co-founder Evans & Sutherland, which focused on real-time hardware, accelerated 3D graphics and printer languages. One of the former employees at his firm was John Warnock, and he founded Adobe. Wow. So you can see this guy, in addition to personally achieving a lot in sort of technical accomplishments, he taught many others Mm -hmm. who went on to do great things. Mm -hmm. He was a real force in the industry. Starting in the mid-'70s, Sutherland was affiliated with the Rand Corporation, investigated making animated movies in the mid-'70s. This was well ahead of his time, well before Pixar and all of that. From 74 to 78, he was at Caltech, and while he was there, he was the founding head of the computer science department. How do you like that? He started the computer science department at Caltech. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> and, and his first emphasis there at Caltech was to teach students how to make integrated circuits. And, of course, that was right in the middle of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So the integrated circuit technology that came out of Caltech is what fueled all of Silicon Valley. In 1980, he founded Sutherland, Spruill, and Associates uh, to do additional work. That was ultimately purchased by Sun Microsystems in 1990 to form the core of their research division. Mm. So when they took his entire company in to make it Sun Microsystems Research, Sutherland became a fellow, a Sun fellow, and a VP at Sun. He was visiting scholar in computer science at UC Berkeley from 2005 to 2008, during his career, Sutherland has obtained more than 60 patents. This guy has an impressive yeah. uh, impressive uh, resume, and when I looked at the luminaries who were his students, I was even more impressed. And it all started back with that first that first computer where he uh, first computer processing that he did back there what called Simon, which was that relay-based computer, and he loved he loved to program that. He's 80 years old now. Yeah. He's still with us. I just checked while you're talking about him. And he's he's still working away. He mm. he never retired. So there you go. Know, everything you want to know about Edward Sutherland, the uh, father of computer graphics. Hope you were paying attention because what you just learned about uh, Ivan Edward Sutherland, you can turn into free lunch. Stand by. The pop quiz is coming up here on Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please be seated. No, they're, stay off. They're settling down. It's okay. rainy. I think they're a little bit logy today. They are anxious to get out on their self-driving car. You know, <laughs> the car singular. There's that self-driving car. That's right. You know, and when the self-driving cars show up, I'll, I'll I won't be taking those bird scooters around. I'll I will be, be heading to Canada. I'll be on the I'll be on the self-driving car. Of course, this is a classroom of the airways, not simply a radio show. No. That means that we assess whether you have been listening to the show. Yes. And we do that with a pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you get two tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms. And uh, you also get an A-plus for this session of the show. That's far more important. It is really very important. Other, earlier in the show, we talked about Ivan Sutherland. He, of course, is the father of computer graphics. When he was uh, in grade school, a friend of them brought over a computer, a computer, which was a very small relay-based computer. What was the name of that computer system? If you know the answer to today's question, well, you're halfway there. The other half is picking up the phone and calling us now. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're wondering where the sun went in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And, of course, the undependable international line, 877-9-3639-333, or 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. And, of course, if you're calling from the back seat of a self-driving car, you can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. I would imagine that's a scary place to be. I don't know. It's It could be. It is possible. It certainly could be. Okay, all right. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. So thousands of Swedes are inserting microchips under their skin. 
What? This is the latest. In Sweden, thousands have had microchips inserted into their hands. But why? The chips are designed to speed up the daily routines and make their lives more convenient for accessing their home, their offices, their gyms, just by swiping their hand against a digital reader. You can also use the... (laughs) Use the chips to store emergency contact information, social media profiles. You could even use it for e-tickets for events or rail journeys within Sweden. Wow. It's around the size of a grain of rice. The chips typically are inserted into the skin just above the thumb using a syringe that's similar to what, what they use for giving vaccinations. The procedure costs about $180. More than 4,000 Swedes have adopted the technology. Biohacks International is dominating the market. The, fir- the firm was started five years ago by Johan Osterlund. He was a former professional bar- body piercer. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. Not going to do this. this I've, I looked. I said, really? Why isn't he an IT guy? Well, he is getting some medical and IT support at his company. I hope so. But he, but he said, listen, I'm a body piercer. What do we do? We pop that chip in your, they just like piercing the body. So he figured it's just, you know, he just pivoted on his business. Now, many of the early adopters come from Star- Stockholm's thriving startup team. For instance, Ayer Fisk, he's a 30-year-old web developer. He says he was curious about the technology, and he decided to get his own chip in 2014. Then he moved into a shared house earlier this year, and he organized chipping parties. Chipping parties where people come to the party and they'd get chips inserted. You got a? You ever been to a chipping party? I've never been to it. I prefer like <laughs> Pringles at my chipping party. Now everybody in the house. It's a 16th century building. They share that they share in Stockholm's old town, and they just tap their hand against a digital reader to walk in the door. So they don't need, you know, they they don't need They're any their keys own or anything. Data watch card. They're their own their own data. Or, or it's like Sylvia Varzegi. She's 28. She uses it to get her co- into her co-working space. You know, she has to get into work. And also, she shares LinkedIn details at the, at networking events. Whenever she talks to somebody, she just taps their her their phone with her hand, and it transfers her LinkedIn data <laughs> transfers the LinkedIn data directly to their phone. <laughs> this could go horribly wrong somewhere. Somehow, <laughs> Sweden's largest train company has started allowing commuters to use chips instead of tickets. And there's talk that chips could soon be used to make payments at shops and restaurants. So you don't even need a wallet. You just walk around and, you know, tap your hand. So it's it's an interesting Doc, it's an interesting idea, but you know, it's a whole privacy thing. You I know? think we should have a chipping party here in the studio one morning. Yeah, so there you go. That's everything you want to know about the chipping parties in Sweden. Okay. Now we're gonna find out if somebody uh, has the answer to the question. We do have a contestant. Let us okay. go to the international line. Line numero uno. Okay. This is uh, Daniel, who's calling us from Middleburg, Virginia. Good morning, Daniel. How are you, sir? Whoops, wait a minute. There. There you are. Was Daniel, the... how are you? Great. Good. Thank you. Oh, okay, that's, uh, that's the international okay. line. That's, the, that's, that's the problem with the international line. Right. And you know what? His chip was interfering yeah, with his phone. Be. I think that's what it was. That might be. We got it. Well, earlier in the show, we talked about Ivan Sutherland, the father of computer graphics. What was the name of the computer that he first programmed on? Simon. That is that correct. Is correct. Daniel, you are the correct uh, answer person today. Hang on. I'm having a problem with the English language. We're going to send you back to someone who speaks perfect English. Andrew Mitchell will take your information. It is Saturday morning, and you are listening to Federal News Radio. 
part of the uh, Federal News Network here on 1500 AM and also on 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. If you would like to watch us do this show, you can download the Periscope app to your device and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. Learn more about the show by going to stratford.edu, and there you can listen to all of our previous programs. Stratford University Tech Talk continues right after this. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Ford is going to start driving, self-driving cars in D.C. next year. Ford announced October 22nd that it would begin testing its self-driving cars on the streets of Washington, D.C. early next year. They currently already have vehicles on the road gathering map data and will be operating those cars autonomously in the first quarter of 2019. A safety driver and a second engineer will remain in the vehicle at all times, Ford says, but the company plans to remove both of them when it feels confident enough with its technology. One of the big issues when uh, the district negotiated with Ford to allow self-driving cars on the street, then they were negotiating also with Waymo and Uber, was what they called equity. They wanted the cars to also drive in the poor or regions of, uh, in the lower income areas of Washington, D.C., because frequently those areas, it's hard to get a cab. And so they want, the int- they want all eight districts in the in the uh, in the um, in Washington D.C. covered, so the equity was an important part of this decision. Now Ford has also secured a fleet terminal for its autonomous vehicles within the district, so whenever they need to go back and get gas or needed to download data, they'll go back to the fleet terminal. The facility will serve as home base for Ford's cars when they're not out in the streets and a place where they can transfer data and have their sensors cleaned. Washington will be the fourth city for Ford's autonomous vehicle testing. They're already testing. Ford's already testing in Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Miami. The automator said the autom- automaker said it expects to launch its commercial service of robot taxis and delivery vehicles at scale in 2021. That's pretty quick. 
Yeah, that certainly might clean up the taxi industry. That's right. And uh, Ford will also spend cash to train local residents for auto technician careers that would involve self-driving cars in the future. But first, Ford has to build a map of the city. This includes gathering data on Washington's complicated topography. They're working, Ford is working with Argo, a self-driving startup that Ford is backing with a billion-dollar investment. I went back and I looked at Ford's development. They, they actually set up a separate company, Ford Autonomous, because uh, GM has set up a, a spin-out company for its autonomous vehicles. Google set up a, spe- a, a spin-out company, Wymo, and so Ford said we want to get a spin-out company. And Ford said they're really focused on a way to make money. They said being the first one to the technology, being the first to have the technology is not necessarily as important. They said what's important is to be the first one to have the technology that is a real business, that mm-hmm. can make money. So they're looking at vehicle utilization because, I mean, they're, you know, if we get the sea change going on, Cars will just become a resource that you order like a taxi cab. And now or Ford pizza. Is, or pizza. So Ford is already they've already uh, uh, they've already partnered with Lyft. So they're looking at uh, patterns, usage patterns of cars that Lyft has. So you see they cars uh, like Lyft are used during, you know, rush hour in the morning and at mm-hmm. evening, but then there are there are downtimes at, at night yeah. in the middle of the day. So they are then partnering with delivery companies because they said it's all about utilization. So they want the cars to carry passengers during the peak times and to deliver product like pizza or groceries or anything during the downtime. And so they could have 24-7 utilization. So uh, so I'm looking at this. I wanted to see what it looks like. It Mm -hmm. looks like they're building it using the Fusion which is their hybrid. So it's a normal-looking sedan. Yeah. But it's also not supposed to have a steering wheel, gas brake pedals. They won't they won't have they won't have anything for and they're going they're going for purely autonomous. They're not doing for for driver assist. They said, you know, purely autonomous is the way to go. So if I don't know. It sounds it sounds a little bit if I was in a car, I don't know that I could just ride in a car. Yeah, the, you know the but what what the what the safety people are saying they say the the most dangerous component in the car is the driver is the human, and until the computer fails and we and we have thirty six thousand deaths a year in the United mm-hmm. States and most of those are due to driver error and so they're looking at uh, significantly altering the the death toll on the highways. Well, I I don't know. My personal feeling is that that's that's pie in the sky because the computers are going to fail. We've already had didn't we have an, an accident in Arizona where somebody was killed by an autonomous car that had an override person in it and that person was looking at their phone. Yeah, they that was there were there were so some they, ca- they, no well, there there were some cases. See, uh Tesla had some very uh, High, no, uh, very highly publicized cases. Tesla does not use a lidar, which is mm-hmm. laser radar. They use strictly sensors. They use passive sensors. And there was this one case where there was a white truck, a white semi truck that pulled across the road, and the sky was white, and it blended in. And because they, 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 the truck. because they didn't have radar, the sensors didn't pick it up. And so they and, and this guy well, was just playing on his phone. He didn't hit it. And there there was another case where there was uh, you know somebody jumped jumped out in in front of it. That was an mm-hmm. Uber an Uber case. Yeah. So there uh, you know there are cases where there will be you know there have been some accidents, but Uber but Google is doing three. Three, something like three million miles, you know, a month or something, 
and they hardly have any accidents. I mean, they're, they're just they're just bracking up the the hours, and so the accident rate is extremely extremely low. I think th- I think this is going to happen. The other thing I think is going to happen: millennials, young people, don't want to own cars. Yeah, they're, they're happy yeah. with Uber. Mm-hmm. For as far as they're concerned, they're 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 in the in the sort of the on-demand economy. You want something, you just use it, and then you're done with it. You don't really buy a car. I think the younger generation is going to be quite happy to have a low-cost uh, transportation option without buying a car. I think this is going to help people who are who are visually impaired. It's going to help older people that have lost their driver's licenses. And I think it's going to dramatically all and also going to mean that we don't need parking lots downtown. Because well, they they just they just drop you off and they that go takes and it to some time down the road. But here's the thing that concerns me is <laughs> that I would imagine if a certain political party was in power and this was something that they felt was a, mm-hmm. a good thing that they would mandate that you had one of these and then driver cars could then become illegal and that you wouldn't have the option to drive your own car. That to me is a problem. What could this do to insurance rates? Yeah. Could insurance companies then charge people who decide to drive their own cars a premium for wanting to do that? I, I actually think that human cars driven by humans will have substantially higher insurance costs. I think that's a problem. Because the, I, because the humans are the, are are dangerous. So this is a and what's a, I think what will happen ultimately if you want to drive a car you go to a racetrack. Here's <laughs> here's my point, and I don't think and I think a lot of people don't understand. Everybody thinks it's automated, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. How many times does your car break down? All the components in your car break down. That computer is going to malfunction at some point, mm-hmm. and if you don't have the override system, you are in big trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's the way I look at it. But then again, what do I know? It it I, I'm telling you, Jim. It's purely based on edge. The younger people think it's great. The older people that have lived with cars want it to go on forever. I guess you're telling me I'm old. Exactly. All right. I I like owning a car, too, so I'm in that category. There you go. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, 
and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Microsoft has actually changed its colors. It now supports and really supports open source. Mm-hmm. Now, Microsoft when Ballmer was there, was a staunch opponent of open source. You know, Ballmer called open source the cancer of the computer world. But now Microsoft has totally reversed its position. It's joining the Open Invention Network Consortium that was created to protect open source technologies from patent lawsuits. This is always the problem. How how do you keep it open source indefinitely? And you've got to protect it against patent infringement. Additionally, Microsoft will contribute more than 60,000 of its patents to the Open Invention Network. This is noteworthy because the group's members cross-license their patents to each other in order to prevent future lawsuits in which companies may allege another firm's technology infringes on their own patents. Some of the group's members include Google, Red Hat, IBM, and Toyota. The Open Invention Network, OIN as it's called, was formed in 2005 to protect proponents of open source Linux operating systems from legal action. But now it covers a broad range of open source technologies. Developers and companies can access and contribute to the open source technology for free, unlike proprietary software. Now, now, Microsoft still has proprietary software. Microsoft Windows operating system is still proprietary. Not everything is not open source at Microsoft. But they're going more and more to, to uh, um, open source. For years, Microsoft has waged legal battles against companies working on open source. They fought companies like Linux. They fought the Google Android system. They alleged that open source tech infringed on their own patents. But as open source technology has become more popular with developers and, mic- and uh, corporations in recent years, Microsoft shifted its attitude toward the technology because it had to go open source if they wanted to attract the best talent because developers want to work on open source software. It's a better form of collaboration and software development. As the company put more of its resources into the Azure cloud computing services, it's been increasingly pushing open source technology as a way to court developers to build Azure. So see, they're shifting their whole focus to the cloud and they're pushing that with open source and they Microsoft felt they could accelerate their movement into cloud technologies by embracing open source. Now, one of the biggest steps to appease the open source community happened back in 2014, and Microsoft took their entire .NET development framework and made it open source because a lot of developers hated the fact that that in order to interact with Microsoft, you had to use that proprietary .NET software. And Microsoft, as it was making this movement toward pure open source support, they actually made .NET open source. And that was a, that was a huge shift. Now, one of their biggest open source play was their decision to buy GitHub. Now, GitHub is an open source friendly service for developers to store their software code. I mean, we've got a lot of developers at Stratford that... That, that like to go into GitHub, and they'll contribute to GitHub. In fact, when you hire a developer, you 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 look at how many uh, projects they have on GitHub and what what their contributions on GitHub had been, and, and that way you can judge their, 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 their chops in terms of uh, software development. But Microsoft bought GitHub for $7.5 billion 
in order to support open source. And I'm telling you, when they bought GitHub, there was there was almost a revolt on a lot of developers because not everybody loves Microsoft in the open source world. And Microsoft has really had to make a case that they're going to continue to support open source strongly. So Microsoft, under the new leadership, as soon as, as, soon as Steve Ballmer got out, totally changed color and now supports open source. Over 11,000 Microtech routers are at risk around the world. Security flaw in Microtech Wi-Fi routers has left thousands at risk from cyber attacks. India is among, is among one of the top 10 countries worst affected by crypto mining and has the highest number of infected routers in the country, in the world. Avast, an antivirus company, found that 11,000 routers were infected in India, putting in the seventh position of countries with compromised routers. The top of the list, by the way, is Brazil that has 85,000 infected routers. Mm. And these, and they tar- target crypto miners. What it is, the campaign allows cyber criminals to exploit a vulnerability in Microtech and inject scripts that further allow them to run software illegally. The software, in turn, can take over the computer's resources for crypto mining. For instance, if you have an infected router and you try to reach a particular uh, web address, URL, that starts with HTTP on an infected computer... On an infected router, it will route you. It will route you to a page that gives you a 403 error code. Now that page is actually a script that launches a JavaScript cryptocurrency miner in your browser. So then you go once once that's launched, then you'll go to the next page and it will work. And that and that cryptocurrency miner just works in the background using your computer to mine cryptocurrency. And so now, cryptocurrency mining, due to this bug, is a big deal. Avast recommends installing antivirus software to check if the routers are infected or not. You can check whether whether you've got crypto mining software running. And if you do have an infected router, they urge you to reset the router to factory settings and update the firmware immediately. Most of the people got infected because they didn't change their password from the Mm. default password. Yeah. You know, blockchain is beginning, is really, really beginning to take hold. Uh, this month, somebody transferred $183 million in Ethereum using the Ethereum blockchain, and they successfully transferred it. I mean, that's a big, that's a big money transfer. This was actually a desired money transfer. They're transferring $183 million um, of, of Ether. They call it Ether. That's the, that's the equivalent of Bitcoin for Ethereum. So the Ethereum block uh, six five five six three eight four, that was that was the block that actually had the hundred eighty three million dollar transfer in it. It went through five thousand confirmations to make certain that this transfer was correct, and once the five thousand confirmations were validated, uh, the transfer was made. It took about nineteen hours to transfer the hundred eighty three million dollars without having to go through expensive intermediaries. Now, for instance, if you would try to transfer $183 million through PayPal, which I don't know why you do that, <laughs> but PayPal would charge you $5.3 million for that transfer, okay? <laughs> if you would try to transfer $183 million through Western Union, mm-hmm. Global Remittance Service, you'd have to pay $120 for each 3000 transferred. Now, this Ethereum blockchain transaction fee was less than what Western Union charges for sending $50. So this is going to substantially change 
you know, the movement of money around the web because blockchain does allow you to transfer value. So the these decentralized blockchains are a real innovation that will have long-term impact. But the adoption rate seems to be rather slow. It's a much slower adoption rate than PayPal or Western Union because the tokens, when they're transferred, are volatile. You know, because, say, Ethereum is going up and down and over the place. So you might transfer $183 million. While, and while on the way, say, Ethereum could get could, – the value of Ethereum could crash – and you'd, not, you'd end up only transferring $170 million. So there's, there's so much fluctuation in the value of, the, of these cryptocurrencies that people are not adapting it. And, or if it's, if, if it's going up in value, you could transfer $183 million, and when it gets to the other end, you got $186 million. So, but, but banks and financial institutions don't like to make transfers where the final result is not is not uh, is not quite known. There's mm-hmm. also more problems with liquidity. It might be that you transfer 183 million dollars, but you can't convert it to dollars because there's not enough liquidity in the exchange for it to happen. So it's going in order for cryptocurrencies to really take off. We're going to have to have some suitable regulation where these these crypto um, the agents that actually manage the cryptocurrency. There's some degree of stability in them. There's going to be some requirements as far as liquidity is concerned. I think with some degree of of suitable regulation from the government, I think blockchain technology is, is going to take off and it's going to be a huge problem because we've start we've solved the problem of immutability, scalability and decentralization with blockchain. But the other part of the success before blockchain is evolved and successfully, we need regulation, we need economic inclusion, we need space for further blockchain innovation, and we need policies by economists and lawmakers that will allow that to happen. Now, one of the reasons that people don't, you know, trust cryptocurrencies, for instance, is that the North Korean hackers have stolen $171 million in <laughs> cryptocurrency. Okay, this is, this is one of the problems. Yes. <laughs> North Korea outfit, hacking outfit, Lazarus, is the most profitable cryptocurrency hacker in the syndicate in the world. In 2017, they stole a total of eight they they, they stole a total of $571 million, according to a cybersecurity unit report, Group 1B. And this was all government-sponsored theft. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And make certain to check out the programs at Stratford University. Go to stratford.edu. Tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples... 
Temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits, such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.